0: I've been thinking about this lately, this is what I suppose Welcome to the Teaching Ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org London.org. I realise right So I'm on my knees for understanding The more of the world I see, the more I see The I've been in, but I'm no diamond ring a lot to learn, so I'm listening. Amen. Um, well, if you're visiting us today, we are going for a study in the letter, the epistle, or the book to the Ephesians. And we concluded our considerations of chapter one last week. And today we will be beginning in chapter two, looking at verses. Um, 1 to 10. And so if you'd like to open up your Bibles to um, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and when you're there, as usual, you can say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord, because your grace is enough. Amen. Right. Excuse me if I keep sipping water because my throat is very, very dry today. Enough the apologies. Okay. We have seen in our previous studies how the Apostle Paul, you know, he set out this pattern in this letter to the Ephesians of establishing doctrinal truths and then he prayed that we would know these truths, but more than that, that we would understand these truths, and then we, we would allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we would have the strength to walk in these truths, and perhaps we agreed that there's many times we know things, we even understand things, but we still don't outwork those things. And so we need all of these combinations in order to um, work with the Lord and, you know, walk with him. As, um, as the Lord says, he desires those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And he wants us to walk with him in spirit and truth as well. And so in chapter one, just a small brief recap, you know, we see God set out his eternal purpose. And in a sense, Paul was writing this letter from this, this chapter from, from God's point of view. God looking back in eternity past and seeing what He did for us from the foundation of the world. What He presently is doing in our lives and then what He would go on to do in our lives in the future. And He finished chapter 2, as I said, with a prayer. And within that prayer, He finishes with this illustration of God's mighty working power. Raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand of glory. And I, used, I, I, I mentioned that the Lord used four words for power. So we had this joke last week of God giving us power, 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 power. Amen. And that's the truth. Because believe it or not, when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he placed him within you his power. Now, you may not feel that way, you may not believe it, but again, looking through the book of Ephesians, positionally, that's a reality. You have that power. Whether you are tapping into that power or not is questionable, but it's there. And it says that he placed Jesus, um, he seated him at, the right, at his right hand far above, not just just above far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And just so that they got it, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so the Apostle Paul used that illustration. And now, in chapter 2, he uses the same illustration of Christ's resurrection and Christ's coronation to, to contrast. To contrast the next doctrinal truth that he wishes to establish and he wishes for us to be empowered by. And it totally relates to us. And this doctrinal truth basically shows us that we were dead, but God has elevated us into life. And, you know, sometimes when you're, when you're considering the plight of mankind, those who, who, who are not in Christ, I mean, everyone familiar with the day of the living dead? You know those films when people are walking around? <laughs> they're walking around, so they're dead, but they're alive. But they're dead, but they're alive. A silly concept, but but it, it has so much reality to it. Because the truth is, according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, everyone outside of Christ is dead. They may be walking around, experiencing life, seeing a beautiful sunset. They may be, you know, swimming in coral reefs, you know, going surfing. Whatever it may be, they may be enjoying wonderful things. But as far as God is concerned, they're dead. It's only in Christ Jesus that we have life. Now, that's a hard thing to say. And I would say, you know what, don't take it out with me, take it out with God. Because he is the one who established this. And so in chapter 1 of verse 2, he says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? So, as you can see, this is a profound portion of scripture. And what the Apostle Paul does is he gives this vivid, universal picture of God what all of mankind is by nature no one is excused and he does this compared to what mankind can become by the grace of god in fact as we scan through the new testament there is no clear no clearer picture In the New Testament, describing the sinfulness of man and his depraved position before Almighty God. So, what we actually see here from verse 1 is is how Paul skillfully, he plums into the depths of pessimism, describing the plight of humanity. And then as he tracks through, he rises to the heights of optimism. But... Not optimism in humanity or mankind, but optimism regarding the richness of the Father's grace. We sing, your grace is enough, and it is, because without God's grace, there is no hope. Without God's grace, we would just remain in our sinful condition without a hope in the world. And so, verse 1, it says, And you, and the word you here, as we've been going through Ephesians, you know, it is a direct reference to the first-hand hearers of this epistle, which are the Ephesian believers. But equally, this is a message... To you. To me. It becomes personal. And it needs to be personal because of what, will, what Paul will go on to state. Because what he goes on to say has serious implications and eternal consequences. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, before we consider, and you he made alive, what I really want to focus on right now is the death that Paul mentions here. Because this is a statement of fact about everyone's spiritual condition outside of Christ Jesus, as I've already said. Everyone, past, present, or future out of right relationship with Christ Jesus as far as God the Father is concerned is dead. From the point in Genesis chapter 2 when God says for in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall surely die. this truth rings true. And we know that Adam and Eve, they partook of the fruit and they died. They died spiritually and eventually they died physically. And so death and spiritual separation became a reality and this is a reality which is present until the present day. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. There's a separation. So although we still have people being born and dying, being born and experiencing life, it's not God's kind of life. It's not the abundant life, the Zoe life, which he wants us to experience. And so, as I've mentioned before in our considerations, as the Father surveys planet Earth, he looks down and he only sees two groups of people. Those in Adam or those in Christ. And so, when, when we read in the New Testament... In Christ. In Christ. There's great weight there. It's not something we should just skim over. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die. They are spiritually dead. And one day they will physically die. And even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Those in Christ are spiritually alive and ultimately one day will be physically alive for all eternity. That's what's on offer here. And so the Apostle Paul, he traces this condition of death and separation back to two things. And these two things are trespasses and sins. And these two words, in so many ways, have been carefully chosen by the apostle to give a comprehensive account of all human wickedness. You know, during during our time of worship, you know, Koki prayed and, and she said, you know, we are, we are murderers and deceitful and wicked, something to that effect anyway. And, you know, we're here today and none of us, I'm sure there's no murderers here who have physically committed that act. But, but Jesus, what does Jesus say? If you start thinking about it in your heart, it's as good as doing it. You've already committed murder in your heart when you had that ill thought, that ill intention towards that person. So you don't have to physically do anything. It's just thinking about it, pondering over it, wishing you could. It's as good as doing it. And... And so he gives this comprehensive account of all human wickedness. And trespass is, comes from the, wo, the Greek word paraptome. And what it actually means is it's a full step involving either the crossing of a known boundary or a deviation from a right path. And maybe some of us have gone out into the countryside and we're going along a country path and we see a sign, trespassers will be prosecuted because it's saying don't come off of this track this, this path if you go over here you will be trespassing you would have come off of the agreed path and that is exactly what we have done before God the Father we have come off of the path which he has designed for us and so we are guilty of trespasses and all of our trespasses will be different (laughs) in the you know some of us would have uh, committed greater trespasses than the other than another but we're still guilty the next word is sin which is hamartia which means missing the mark and it's it's like an old archery term So, you know, they had the the target way over there and somebody would aim for it. And you're aiming for what? You're aiming for bullseye, right? And so you're aiming for bullseye. I'm not trying to hit you, Reynolds. Don't worry about it. And and you aim and it doesn't hit bullseye. And so the guy there says, sin, sin. You've missed the mark. Do you get it? Romans 3.23. For we have all sinned. And fall short of the mark. And the mark is what? The glory of God. That is the mark. Who's hit the glory of God? None of us. We're all guilty. And so together, these words cover the positive, the negative, the active, and the passive. Aspects of all human wrongdoing. The sins of omission and the sins of commission. The sins we willfully and knowingly do and the sins we unknowingly do. And it doesn't just stop there, it goes on. Because it also covers the things that we don't do now that may sound a bit complicated but in this sense we're not able to reach God's standard of glory it's something we can't do we're not able to reach his standard of holiness it's something we can't do so it covers the things we we don't do as well and so can you see how Paul's trying to, to, to paint this picture of our depraved state? So before a holy and just God, we're all guilty and we're all deserving of whatever punishment that God seem, deems fit. And none of us can turn around and say to God, it's unfair, God. None of us. We are all rebels and failures. And we just hold this position of being dead before him in trespasses and sins. Bleak. And verse 2 goes in to, to say, in which you So he, he's speaking to this group of believers here in Ephesus. And he's describing what they once were. And the word walked that he uses here is not this, this casual meandering. You know, as we go shopping and we walk and we kind of like, you know, do a bit of window shopping or something. It's not a meandering It's not a stroll through the journey of life. You know, it's something which we actively pursued. And Paul wants to point out that even if the individual felt that they were quote-unquote good, it still relates to them. They walked You know, people could think because they don't necessarily do anything outrageously wrong. They're faithful to their partners, they raise their children well, they go to work, they pay their bills, they give to charity, that somehow, you know, that's good, I don't do anything wrong, I'm a good person. The fact is, (laughs) they are walking according to the course of this world, which is alien from God. And the fact is, without even realizing it, people are walking in bondage and in slavery. And what Paul actually says is, is that they're actually walking in bondage and slavery to three masters. And he mentions them. The world, the devil, and the flesh. He says, we walked according to the course of this world. And as, if you read this in the Greek, it, you know, the Greek phrase is according to the age of this world. And this phrase brings together the two concepts of this age of evil and darkness of which Satan has control over, to a degree, in contrast to the age of light and goodness which is to come. And according to the world, or this cosmos, or ideology of things which we see so prevalent in our society today, of humanism, materialism, sexuality, Everything is sold via sex today. And all these things have no reference to God. And he contrasts this to God's glorious kingdom, which we know has already come, but is still yet to come. So both words, age and world, express a whole social value system which is anti-God. It is opposed to God. It's hostile to God. It's antagonistic towards his holiness and his righteousness. That's why in our schools they don't want us to have assemblies mentioning God. That's why they don't want to have religious education anymore. Because it doesn't want to have anything to do with God. That's why when we watch a God program on the BBC, we get frustrated because it always puts God in a terrible light. Because it wants nothing to do with God. And the Apostle Paul says that we walked... Happily In this condition Before Christ came in and rescued us We were happy to do what the next person does Speaking to someone the other day They were saying Yeah, Rihanna's a good role model I thought, my goodness (laughs) Rihanna's a good role model Where did that come from? or Beyonce because it's a a strong, positive black woman. I thought, oh my goodness. But if you think about that in terms of the world's point of view, that makes sense. But I was horrified then and I'm still horrified. (laughs) It's affecting me. We walked, in, we walked according to the course of this world and it didn't really bother us. But when C- Christ came into our lives, he arrested our hearts, you know, we realized, oh, well, that's not so cool. And that's not so good. And the Lord wouldn't want me to do that. And he definitely doesn't want me to do that. And I shouldn't be talking in that way. You get the picture. The next master that he refers to is The devil. He says according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And this this phrase the prince of the power of the air is a direct reference to the devil. Who I'm not trying to imply that the devil is just influencing everybody but what I am trying to imply is that he is the source of the influence. He is the source of, you know, the temptation and the sin. We can safely trace all evil and violence back to his door. You know, the Lord Jesus said in in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So, as I said, we can safely trace all evil back to him. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to allude to here is that the devil has the power to influence minds in planet Earth. He has the command over the principalities and powers, which you know last week we spoke about in you know in his prayer in, at the end of chapter one. And the devil has influence to promote his ideas or his concepts in order to carry out his own agenda. And let's not get it twisted because it's so evident what he does. He does it in music, you know R and B. Come on now, I remember songs they used to be singing about at the Broadwalk. <laughs> you know, you can think of some of them. That's the first one that comes. You know, songs what used to sing about wholesome things, just nice songs which used to just you know tap along or sing along to. You think it's a nice song? Now it's all about I don't want to say. Because r and B, I'm going to say it, is like musical porn. You start singing these songs and you don't, and kids are singing these, they don't even know what they're singing. But you can see how the influence is there. The influence is there. And so they grow up thinking, oh, well that's all right. It's all right for you know, me to be considered like this, to be considered a uh, I'm not even going to say the word. And you can see why this person would say, Rihanna's such a good role model. Come on. In the era of music, in the films we watch, you know, in politics, in religion, we can see how the devil's just got his hand in it all. Influencing people to be anti-God. He influences the whole system and he works in the sons of disobedience to promote his own evil ideology. And, you know, that's the direction we're moving in because it's going to get to the point where the father says, all right, I've had enough. Let's draw everything to a line now. I'm going to judge all this stuff. We are moving in that direction. And I'm not trying to promote conspiracy theories here or anything, but the Bible is truth. And the Bible will be fulfilled. And within this, it speaks about who now works in the sons of disobedience. And, that, and this word works, I mentioned it last week and I'm going to mention it again today because last week was in the positive but this week is in the negative. He works, you know, it's the same word, enegeo. So, in the same way that God uses his power to energize his people for us to live overcoming lives before him, the devil is using his energio, energio, to work in the sons of disobedience. And again, I know I'm using that word again and again and again, but and again, again he is actively pursuing his agenda we don't have to look too far to see evil in the world in every area and so as we continue through this our study in the book of, you know you can see why paul says you know what put on that hoama Get ready to go into some warfare here. Get ready to stand. And after after you've done all you could do to stand, stand. You can see why, can't you? Because it's no joke. And the next master, which Paul refers to, is our flesh among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind. And the flesh here means our self-centered human nature. And we're all guilty of being self-centered. Some of us are more self-centered than others some of us just live in the world of it's all about me, 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 me. And if I'm not getting my way, I'm not happy. Some of us know how to manipulate situations very, very well so that we get what we want. And it's flesh, not your physical skin here, It's flesh, your self-centeredness, my self-centeredness, where we just want to look out for ourselves, look out for our own interests. And, you know, this is why Scripture constantly, consistently tells us that we should look out for our own interests, but we should look out for the interests of others, that we should esteem others as being higher than ourselves. That's why the scripture says, you know what, it's better for you to give than to receive. But even in our giving, we can become self-centered. Because then we could think, oh, look how good I am. I just gave. (laughs) We all live there. We're all guilty. And... Before Christ came and, and, and rescued us out of this evil and sinful condition, we all were happy to live there. And you know, some of us even through the cross, we're still struggling with those elements in our lives. Being self-centered. But God has the power to change those things. It's being self-centered. The flesh is further. I mean, Paul doesn't just stop there. It's like, all right, give us a break now, Paul. He's like, you're, you're really just hurting us here now. It's like, we understand, we get the picture. No, he carries on. He says, he further defines as the desires of the body and mind. In terms of the desires of the body, you know, we need to get a little bit of balance. And I only say this because There is nothing wrong with natural body desires. Whether it is a desire for food, whether it's a desire to sleep, whether it is a desire for sex. There's nothing wrong with them because God has designed the human body in that way. Amen? But when the appetite for food becomes gluttony and sleep becomes slowfulness and sex becomes lust it's a different ballgame this is where our natural desires become perverted into sinful desires and again all of us have to put our hands up and say guilty You've got me banged to rights, Lord. And as far as God's concerned, even though we have all sinned multiple times, he says, if you if you sin in one aspect, you've sinned in them all. I mean, that's the standard again. God sets a very, very high standard. You sin in one. You're sending them all. James chapter 2 verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point. He is guilty of some of them. All. Guilty of all. And then we have the wrong desires of the mind. And these covers things such as things which could be considered respectable things and unrespectable things. It could be, you know, intellectual pride. I know more than you. I'm educated. Not me, personally. I'm just a humble guy from South London. (laughs) Intellectual pride. Ambition. Or... Selfish ambition. You know, being self-confident to the point that you don't need anybody else. I rely on me. I'll make it happen. I'll make it work. Malicious and vengeful thoughts. But also the rejection of the truth. You know, intellectuals thinking, oh, the Bible. You know, fairy story, fairy tale stories. It's not relevant for today. You know, we've we've elevated and gone beyond that in our reasoning. Now we don't need to think about the Bible. Come on, really? But you can see pride. You know, relying on one's own thought processes. The wrong desires of the mind also covers, you know, parentage and ancestry. Perhaps those who are more wealthy thinking, I descend from a long line of um, wealthy stock, you know. Why do I need the Bible? Why do I need God? I've got everything. It's pride. It's a wrong thought process. And it also covers things such as racial pride or religious pride. And so, considering these things, and there's many more, and I'm sure you're thinking about many more as you're just listening to me, but before the Lord Jesus set us free, we are... All subject to influences from within, internally, and without. We're being bombarded. We don't even realize it. And in so many ways, you consider it like this We've all got mobile phones. Somehow, that mobile phone is connecting you to the net, to the system. Can you see how it's connecting you? You can't see it, but it's connecting you. They're there. The signals are there, connecting, but you can't see it. Likewise, if it was a good analogy, there are things influencing us. Before we're believers, we're not even aware that these things are going on. But soon as we come into a relationship, it's like our eyes are open we start seeing the reality of things. We start realizing, wow, there's influences here. Wow, um, the Lord wants to influence me. What, the Almighty God? Yeah, the Almighty God wants to influence me. Can I see him? No, I can't see him, but he wants to influence you. He's giving me power, can I see the power? No, you can't see the power, but the power is there. Can you feel the power? No, but it's not subject to your feelings. It's subject to the truth of his word. And so we're bombarded with these things. Outside, you know, as I said, is the world and the prevailing circular humanistic culture. Inside is our flesh and our fallen, twisted being self-centered and as well as these things we have that evil influence of Satan trying to fulfill his agenda and as we consider all these things here the way the apostle has written this he writes it in a way that we can't now go It's because of my flesh. That's why I'm not right before you, Lord. Or it's because of the devil. That's why I'm not walking right before you, Lord. It's because of this world system. That's why I can't walk. We can't have that excuse. Because throughout this epistle, you know, it's a lovely way. I mean, if you read it and you scan it and give an overview, Paul Paul uses, you know, he uses these words, it, it, they're obvious, but he goes, it's you, we, us. You, we, us. And then, you know, as we looked at last week, he, he personalised it to themselves, it, to himself. He, Paul started speaking about himself and, and his response. Because that's going on with the you, we, and the us, I'm going to pray for you. It's, it becomes Personal. We have to take individual responsibility for ourselves and not blame the world system, the flesh, the devil. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to, to, to seek the Lord, to draw into him. To hold on, like like that, the woman with the issue of of blood. She just held on to the, the hem and said, "I'm not letting go." That kind of attitude. I need breakthrough in this situation, Lord. We can't have any excuse because we have that individual responsibility. And he says, because we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It's our nature. He brings all of humanity, everyone, into view. We're all guilty. Waiting to receive the just punishment that God has for disobedience and sin. And, you know, this wrath which he's talking about here, it's not like God just throwing a tantrum. You know, it's not like, you know, a little baby upset throwing toys at the pram. No, he's talking about... His wrath, which, from God's point of view, it's his constant hostility towards evil and his refusal to compromise with evil. God's never going to one day say, well, you know, it's only a bit of evil, I'll just sort of like look over it right now. He's never going to be like that like that. He judges evil, and he will one day judge all those who partake of evil. Now, now, all right, let's move on. Now, as we move on to verse 4, Paul purposely contrasts God's wrath with his love. Because, as I just mentioned, by nature, we were the objects of his wrath. But here, the change. And here is the reference back to verse 1, where it said, You he made alive. And hear the change because we hear, but God. And I always love it and I always say it when I read, but God. But God who is rich in mercy has made us, and he goes on to say, and raised us. And this is beautiful because, you know, everything starts with God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see in verses 1 to 3 the desperate human condition and now in verses 4 to 10 we're going to see divine compassion. Just as there was the illustration in at the end of chapter 1 where he gave the illustration of Jesus being dead and raised to glory It was a demonstration of God's power. Power. Power, power. Just before I end it there. A demonstration of his power. Jesus was dead, but he was raised, he was elevated. And we too were dead. But God made us alive. We were slaves and powerless. But God has elevated us with Christ. And given us a position. And not just a position. He's also given us power. Dunamis. Energia. Ikos. Kratos. Power. And as I said. Everything starts from God. He took the initiative to re- reverse the condition of sin. And trying to keep this relative to the first-hand readers. You know, Paul wanted these Ephesian believers to see exactly what the Father had done for them in Christ Jesus. And he wants us to see what he has done for us also. And we look at this and we can easily say well, what I say. This is what I say. But Why? Lord, why? Why did you do it? And graciously, Paul answers the why. And he uses four words to help us to try to understand the why. And again, they come from the direction of God. The first word is mercy. Mercy. And mercy, as we know, is basically defined as not getting what we deserve. We all deserve to go to hell. But because of God's mercy, we don't have to go to hell. But it's not just any old mercy, because I love the language, but God who is rich. Rich or abounding in mercy. Abounding we looked at before, meaning, you know, it's never going to run out, this mercy. It keeps flowing. He's rich in mercy. The next word is love. And we know that God's love is more than sufficient but it is described as his great or abundant love with which he loved us. And so we see that as far as the father's concerned, it's, 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 a, it's a done deal. It's already settled in his mind and his, his heart. The, the great love with which he Loved us. Next the next thing is grace. And as we read verses six and seven, we say that there's there's like double grace. And grace is defined as getting what we don't deserve. I don't deserve your love, but you give me your love anyway. It's amazing. His grace. By grace, you have been saved. And the fourth word is found in the next verse, which is kindness. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards Christ Jesus, towards us in Christ Jesus. And so again, looking back to Paul's prayer, because obviously we, today, we chop up the Bible, we put it in chapters and verses, but originally there wasn't chapters and verses. And so it was a continuous letter. So now we're breaking it down from week to week, looking at chapters and verses. But looking back to Paul's prayer... What the Father did was he demonstrated his immeasurable riches, richness of his power in raising Christ. But now he demonstrates his immeasurable the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. And It says that this kindness is going to be outpoured to us throughout eternity. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. And so, not knowing exactly what God has in store for those who love him in eternity we can safely say that whatever it is, it's going to be a demonstration of his love, of his kindness towards us. And it's just a, a, an encouraging picture. And the Apostle Paul, he concludes his optimism in God the Father, and by doing this, he, he skillfully just... Declares the foundation of our Christian belief. You know, I don't know if there's two more beautiful verses in the whole entire scriptures. Maybe there is. Maybe there's more which are your favorites. But he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's beautiful. It sums everything up. It's amazing how people get it twisted and feel like they have to work for their salvation. And here Paul affirms to these believers And to us, the beauty of salvation, and that salvation is God's work. And as he does this, he uses two balancing negatives. And he uses these so that there's no room for, for any human merit or human boasting when it comes to salvation. Lord, look what I did, (laughs) and that's why I'm saved. No, there's no room for that. The first is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and the second is not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so, in that time. In the, you know, in the future when we're all rolling in heaven, no one's going to be there, as I said before, saying, yeah, you know what I did for the Lord? <laughs> you know what I did for the Lord? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, the Lord needed me in that situation, you know. Yeah, I backed it for him. There's going to be none of that. No one bigging up their chest saying, oh, look what i done for Jesus. Uh-uh. Heaven will be full of the exploits of us saying, look what the Lord did in my life. Look what he enabled me to do for him. By his grace, I didn't deserve it. By his mercy, I deserve to go to hell. We'll be bigging up the exploits of deliverance from death, freedom from slavery, and safety from the wrath of the Father. And if you guys don't know about the wrath of the Father, Revelation chapter 6, chapter 12, chapter 15, 16, 19, I don't know if they're quite true, just don't take every fuck I say as gospel, just check it out for yourself. But you get my point, read Revelation. You understand the wrath of God It's not a joke business And he's going to do all this To the praise Of the glory of his grace Now you have to bear with me a little while longer Can you do that? Amen Paul could have finished here, And we could have done here And said hallelujah Praise the Lord God you're good And he is good Amen Amen He doesn't stop there. Because he wants to make it a bit more personal to the reader, to the hearer. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, listen up people. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should just sit around and do nothing about. That we should just moan and say, oh me. (laughs) Who said walk? Sorry. I'm getting to it. (laughs) That we should walk in them. Amen. That we should walk in them. Now, as I said, stick with me for a little while longer. Until now, you know, Paul has just been describing salvation in terms of, you know, power, resurrection from the dead, you know, and coming out of the bondage of slavery and, you know, and being seated and given a position in Christ Jesus. But here, what he actually does is he, he kind of like switches it up. He reverts back to creation. Because he wants us to also understand that God being the God of power and of deliverance and of freedom is also the God of creation. He's the God of creation. And he uses these two words. He says, the first word is workmanship. For we are his workmanship. And The Greek word for workmanship is poema. Now that sounds like a word, doesn't it? What does that sound like? Poem, and I know you scholars know it. It's poem. We are his poem. His workmanship, it's like God, from the foundation of the, of the world, you know, look at the person next to you, please. I mean, we don't normally do this, but look at the person next to you. It's like he looked at, he saw you, and he saw you as his own unique, special poem. You guys are doing a lot of looking here. His own special masterpiece. That should make you say, wow. Wow. (laughs) Now, Now, you could be here right now today and things may be going terribly wrong in your world. But the fact is, you are God's poem. You may not feel like it, that may not seem like a reality in your life But you are God's poem And it wasn't something he just sort of like thought of 10 minutes ago He, he prepared this beforehand You're his poem And the Bible does say Am I reading the same? That he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Which again includes, as I said before, everything in between. As well as the beginning and the end. You're his poem. And whatever you may be going through today, you need to trust him. It may be a difficult situation. But trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not your heart like Valentine's heart, but the center of your being. Trust in the Lord with all your, the center of your being. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge and he shall direct your paths. That's what you need to do, whoever the you is right now. But you know. And the other word is created, which is kitzo. And I haven't got something unique and special for that one. It's just (laughs) created. Just kitzo. Excuse me. So, moving on. Trying to tie these things together. From being in the world the flesh, under the influence of the devil, and under the, comp- the control of the world, the flesh and the devil. Now we are in Christ. God's, God's looking for a response. Can you see that in here? We are his work, his workmanship, created beforehand so that we should walk in them. He's, he's prepared something. You're his poem. He's prepared something for you and me to do and he wants us to, to now walk in it. There's a res- he's looking for a response. He wants us to, to bear fruit. He wants us to do that thing we know we should be doing and we're not doing. Or... If we're just casually sitting back and not walking at all, he wants us to start standing up and thinking, Lord, what is it you want me to do? To seek him for it. Now, he wants us to work. Now, let me say, we are not saved because of works. But because we are saved, we should all desire to work. And not just work, as I said, aimlessly, but work in the good works that the Father designed for us in eternity past. So, again, we have this this idea of motion, of movement, of work, of walking. Not walking according to the course of this world, but now walking according to God's standard you know, being excited about discovering the things which he has prepared for us. And so that is the challenge which will be left with you today, will be left with me. And as we close, we see how chapter two, you know, it opens with the depths of pessimism and despair regarding the human condition. But Paul skillfully and beautifully describes God's grace and what the Father offers us. And knowing these things, it should be basic. A basic response should be, yes, Lord, I want to walk in the things you have prepared for me. I want to now do what you've called me to do. And as we do this, we underpin this with prayer and a reliance that, as we speak to the Father about these things, as we speak to the Lord about these things, that we're relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us. the The power of the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to say the Holy Spirit in like some kind of like flaky. Oh, it's the Spirit. But the spirit of God is real. He speaks to our heart. He speaks to our mind. He convicts us of sin. He encourages us and wants to empower us to live for Christ. And we have, to, we have to rely upon him. And as we rely upon him, you know, just as the epistle to the Ephesians says, we will know that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, We'll have the ability to walk with Christ in his power. And then as we're walking with him, we will stand with him. And having done all to stand, we'll stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because your word is powerful, Lord. It is so rich. We thank you that your word isn't just full of you know seemingly nice stories Lord you tell it as it is you show us Lord exactly the condition of what we were who we were before you entered into our lives and then you show us the richness of what you have prepared for us your promises Lord and Lord help us to respond to you in the way that you desire for us to respond Help us, Lord, to really take our walk with you seriously, Lord, so that we can be pleasing before your sight. And we pray in Jesus' name, Amen to learn, so i listening I'll be where I feel in but I'm no ring. Yeah, yeah. I like to learn, so i listening